Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of Crime Talk with TNZ. I am Ellie. And I'm Rhiannon. Before we begin, I just want to remind you guys that wherever you're listening to us, make sure to hit that follow or subscribe button. Today the roles are reversed and I'm telling the story. I wanted to find an interesting one, so when I was researching about what I wanted to talk about, I really gravitated towards female serial killers. This one in particular really caught my eye, especially since I had never heard of it. Today, we are going to be talking about killer babysitter Christine Falling. So when I was researching this case, I had a hard time wrapping my head around it. One, because of the nature of the crimes. Two, because of the age of the victims and the killer. And three, because I think it's different from the typical serial killer story we hear about. The story of Christine starts in 1963 when she was born Christine Laverne Slaughter on March 12th in Perry, Florida. Perry is a small town in North Florida, an hour south of Tallahassee. She came from a poor family. Her mother was just 16 years old when she gave birth to Christine, while Christine's father was 65 years old. To put that into perspective, when I was 16, my grandmother was 65. He was old enough to be her grandfather, and I think that's absolutely crazy. That's not only disturbing, but hello, isn't that illegal? I'm pretty sure Florida's age of consent is 18, and let's just say like her mom, you're 16 and you engage in sexual activities, there's a close age rule, so legally the guy shouldn't be older than 23 years old. Do you know if he ever got in trouble? Not that I know of, but I really don't think so since they seem to live together, cohabitate, and have kids together. But from what I read and learned about her, because they were so poor, she really didn't have the support, I guess a quote-unquote normal parenting you should expect. It seems that she also suffered from frontal lobe epilepsy and had medication to treat it, as well as people referring to her as slow and possibly having mental retardation. Her parents fought a lot and they really couldn't give her the home or support that she deserved and because they fought so much, she spent a good chunk of her childhood hopping from orphanage to orphanage. Did they only fight between each other or were they abusive towards her also? Well, um, from what I read, they fought with each other but they were also physically abusive towards her and I read that she was sexually abused when she was a child but it didn't really specify if it was done by her father, uh, relative, friend. It doesn't really say that. Just that she was abused and had a rough childhood. And you mentioned that she was referred to as slow. Was she ever labeled with a learning disability? She was never labeled as with a learning disability, but she really didn't make it far in school, like, at all. Um, she dropped out in, like, seventh grade. Wow. Did she have any siblings, or was she just living through all this on her own? Um, She had a sister that she was placed in the orphanages with. Um, She was an older sister, and not only did she have problems with her parents, but with other adults, too. Her Her caretakers would describe her as a habitual liar, a compulsive thief, a child who would break the rules to get attention, which is sad, and it doesn't really surprise me considering she already had so many issues. So essentially, she became a child of the system. Basically, until she was adopted by the Falling family. But again, that didn't last long because of her behavior. So, 
As you can see, her story is already off to a rocky start, and it only gets worse from here. When she was a young child, she began to kill small animals. No one really knows why, or if she did it for fun, or any reasons as to why she would begin doing that. Eventually, she began to kill cats. I guess smaller animals were not enough for her anymore. She would strangle them as a way to display affection or showing her love, according to several articles I've read. When I first read her story, I was like, oh wow, this couldn't get worse. But I was definitely wrong. As if smothering kittens to death wasn't enough, Christine began to throw cats from high places to test their nine lives. And just for our listeners, I'm doing air quotes. Like, she would want to test their nine lives. It's crazy. First of all, I hate the thought of any animal being harmed, let alone cats, since I have three and they're my babies. But I think that's a common theme with killers. They start off with animals and then they move yeah. on to their other victims. I've heard that too. Um, and it's so sick. And to me, it's also awful because you have three cats. I have three cats. We're both cat moms. Um, I could never imagine hurting one of my one of my little babies, as I call them. Um, so it's obviously sick. And she's really young. Um, at Doing the age this. of yeah, exactly. At the age of nine, Christine and her sister were sent to Orlando and placed in a children's refuge for a year. It's obvious that she was an angry child who had issues and her parents couldn't really afford to take care of her, as I've said before. It seems they didn't really try anyway because she kept getting placed in facilities as if passing on the burden to someone else was the answer. Did she ever end up back with her parents? Actually, yes. At the age of 12, she went to live with her mom, but... Just two years later, when she was only 14 years old, she was forced by her parents to marry a man named Goober Falling. Get this. This man was in his 20s. Wait, okay, so not only is he in his 20s, so he's at least a decade older than her, but Falling, isn't that the last name of her adoptive family? I'm not sure, actually. In some articles, it says that it was her stepbrother that she married, but it didn't really specify. So um, we're not sure if there's relation. Yeah. I'm not really sure if there's a relation to that. I hope not because that's disgusting. Well, nonetheless, she's young. It seems like a really hard situation for her to be in. I agree. So, obviously, despite the age difference, they were married. Goober and Christine had a very rocky and toxic relationship, unsurprisingly. They constantly fought and abused each other, and during one of the fights, she even threw a 25-pound stereo at her husband. It's not really surprising since she saw her parents fight all the time, so that must have been where she learned it from. Well, like you said, she grew up in a bad home environment and saw abuse, so perhaps she thought that was a normal relationship. That's how she viewed relationships. Yeah, she probably thought that's how they worked. Not to mention she's forced to marry this guy who she probably doesn't even like. Exactly. She probably harbored resentment aside from all the baggage that she was already carrying from her childhood. So... Their marriage only lasted six weeks before getting divorced. After getting divorced, I read that she spiraled and basically developed very strong hypochondriac tendencies. She went to the hospital as many as 50 times for various reasons. Some symptoms she alleged were a snake bite, red spots, vaginal bleeding, which to me, it sounds like it could have just been her period and maybe she psyched herself out, but I don't know. In the end, the doctors didn't really find any treatable symptoms. I've read before that 
becoming a hypochondriac can be like a side effect or symptom to someone being like super stressed out and it's like a coping mechanism being a hypochondriac it definitely could have been um so despite all of that she began working as a babysitter and she was actually regarded as a good one for a good while despite her undiagnosed diseases and mental illnesses her community trusted her and they would later learn that trusting her with their kids was a huge mistake in a couple of years, she would go on to murder five children and an old man, so six people. Her first victim was a little two-year-old girl named Cassidy Johnson. By now, I believe that Christine was around 17. On February 25th, 1980, Cassidy was in the care of Christine, and shortly after being with her, she was taken to the doctors and diagnosed with assumed encephalitis, which is an inflammation of the brain, which subsequently led to her death on February 28th, 1980. The autopsy revealed that the cause of death was actually blunt force trauma to the skull. Christine claimed that the baby fell out of the crib, but a doctor didn't really believe her. Christine was questioned by police, but due to lack of evidence, she wasn't really charged. Not even for neglect or child endangerment? I mean, Cassidy died under her care. Mm, nope. Uh, there was not enough evidence that she was hurting the kid, so it was pretty much cut and dry. After this, Christine eventually moved to Lakeland, where another child was killed under her care. Her next victim was Jeffrey Davis. Jeffrey was only four years old when Falling murdered him. The Wait. cause of death, according to the autopsy, was myocarditis, inflammation of the heart muscle. This is rarely lethal, but unfortunately, it was lethal for Jeffrey. Even though doctors were suspicious about his death, it didn't really cause enough alarm for an investigation to be launched. So again, another child died with her and no charges. Yep. But that's not all. Within three days, three days of Jeffrey's death, another kid died. And again, it was in falling scare. What? Um, yeah. Uh, the day of Jeffrey's funeral, Christine Falling was asked to babysit Jeffrey's two-year-old cousin, Joseph Spring. While Joseph and Jeffrey's family was grieving at the funeral, Joseph mysteriously died in his grip. Doctors attributed Joseph's death to a viral in infection, so she weaseled away again. A viral infection? They didn't find anything else? No, and I believe the viral infection they claimed was meningitis, but they didn't really suspect her. So, in 1981, Falling left Lakeland and her murders behind, and she went back to her hometown of Perry, Florida. By now, not many people really wanted to entrust her with her kids, and rightfully so. I mean, three kids, she's the babysitter. <laughs> yeah. Um, but she was able to find work as a housekeeper for 77-year-old William Swindle. No, William. Yeah. Well, on the first day on her job, William died in his kitchen due to cardiac arrest, a possible complication of his old age, so there was no foul play. On the first day? On the first day. Like, she went to his house to, you know, clean it, maybe care for him, help him around the house, because he was really old. Her next victim was actually her own niece, an 18-month-old. Christine alleged suddenly stopped breathing. It only took a few minutes. On July 14th, 1981, Christine was with her half-sister, Betty Jean Daniels, and her niece, Jennifer Daniels. They had taken the baby for routine vaccines, and on the way home, Christine's sister went to the supermarket to buy a couple of groceries and left her in the car with the baby. So they had a pretty mundane day up until now. While her sister went into the store, 
the little girl stopped breathing. When her sister got back in the car, the only thing that Falling said was, this baby ain't breathing. We have to keep in mind that everyone thought of Christine as somebody who was slow, so her sister didn't really take her seriously and she was just like, don't worry about it, babies don't really breathe hard. But upon further inspection, she saw that her baby was not only not breathing, but she had turned blue. Doctors, the family, and even the police thought it was just bad luck. They thought it was sudden infant death syndrome. And I even read that some people knew, even though they knew that she had killed animals when she was younger, they couldn't conceive that she would hurt a child, let alone her own niece. I mean, I don't think we typically think family members are going to kill one another, especially your baby niece. Yeah, the one you're supposed to protect. So by now, she's killed five people, and I still cannot fathom why she wasn't under more suspicion. I guess it's uh, since SIDS was very common back then, they really thought it was an isolated incident, so they didn't really suspect her. Um, I agree with you, though. It's surprising me. It surprises me that she wasn't caught sooner. So as I said before, earlier in her life, she had a little bit of a hypochondriac fit, and after her niece died, it even spiraled even worse. She started to freak out and checked herself into the hospital, asking doctors to find out if she's passing a mystery disease to the kids. Eventually, Sheriff Buddy Smith said that he thought that her desire was for somebody to find out that she was the one killing the babies. On July 2nd, 1982, Christine was taking care of a 10-week-old baby named Travis Coleman in Bluntstown, Florida, which Bluntstown is about an hour away from Perry. An autopsy report revealed that Travis had injuries and internal ruptures consistent with suffocation. This time, the police questioned falling. On an interview I saw of Sheriff Buddy Smith, he said that when she was questioned, she finally was ready to tell him. According to Sheriff Smith's recounting of her confession, he said that she had a way of choking babies without leaving any signs, and she said that in a maester that she could do that, no one picked up on it. She eventually admitted to killing three children, including Travis, by smothering them. Police suspected she killed two more and Mr. Swindle. In her confession, did she admit why, besides this fascination with getting away with it? When they asked Christine about Travis, she said that she choked him for no apparent reason. And she also recalled Cassidy, the little girl she killed. And and I'm not gonna I'm gonna directly quote Christine on this. She got kind of rowdy or something. Anyway, I killed her until she quit breathing. When they asked her why she would kill them, she would just say, I killed them. That's about all I gotta say. I don't know why. So if you throw a tantrum or misbehave with Christine, you die. Very likely. Um, It was said that whenever she was killing the babies or if the babies were throwing a tantrum, it would drive her to smother them. So, Like it would frustrate her so much? Yeah, it would frustrate her even more. So obviously you're getting hurt and they would cry and it would frustrate her even more. So she really wanted to to kill them. Eventually, it was also speculated that she has schizophrenia because when they were investigating all the deaths, she said that for some of them, she even heard voices saying, kill the baby. So she had auditory hallucinations while she was murdering these kids. So with this confession, was she finally convicted? Yes. With this confession, she was convicted and given three life sentences for the deaths of Travis and the two other kids she admitted to killing. Wait, life sentences 
Florida is a death penalty state. Why wasn't she given the death penalty? Actually, you're right. Um, they could have given her the death penalty, but unfortunately, the only thing that saved her from that fate was actually confessing. So they sentenced her to life with the opportunity for parole after 25 years. And while serving, three years into her sentence, she admitted to having murdered Swindle, the 77-year-old man, by strangling him. How do you strangle a grown man and not leave a mark? Good question. Actually, according to forensic pathologist uh, Janice Amatusio, sometimes smothering may leave no clues whatsoever, especially if smothering is caused by something loose or really fluffy around the mouth or nose. So like a fleece blanket, a pillow, it may leave very few clues. So since she didn't use her bare hands and there was no markings, that's why they didn't really suspect her when he died. They just thought, oh, he died of old age. So, now that she's incarcerated, what about her mental health? Did they figure anything out? Even though she was known to suffer from possible, from possibly several mental illnesses, she was never really declared or classified as legally insane. So, all this happened in the 80s. By now, she must have had her parole hearing. Is she free or is she still incarcerated? Well, according to the Florida Department of Corrections website, she's actually still an inmate. So I went digging, and in 2006, she actually had her first parole hearing to see if she would be fit to be incorporated to society. It was decided by the board that due to a history of disciplinary issues and the nature of her crimes, that it would be best to keep her locked away behind bars and away from children. So even behind bars, she was causing problems. It definitely looks like it. It doesn't seem like she became reformed. Mm, No, and... If you don't, if jail doesn't fix you, then what does, right? So, in November 2017, she actually had another parole hearing, but the prosecution is still very unforgiving. The assistant state attorney, Joy Powell, said that, um, and this is a direct quote, uh, she said that she just did it the way she saw on TV. She said she doesn't know why she did it. Sometimes they cried and they made her mad, or one time she just felt the urge. So... After her saying that, it doesn't really surprise me and it's no help to her that no one showed up on her behalf to her parole hearings. So in seven years from 2017, uh, she is eligible for another parole hearing. So it's been two years since then. So in five years, she'll be back in court and they'll see if she's fit to rejoin society. But to be honest with you, I feel like she should just stay locked away. I mean, she doesn't seem remorseful at all. And I totally agree with you. All right, everyone. Thank you so much for tuning in to our episode of Crime Talk with TNZ. We will have new stories for you every week. Thank you for listening to our podcast. I know there are a lot of podcasts out there. I know there are a lot of crime podcasts out there to choose from. Crime Talk with TNZ is hosted by Elizabeth Zambrano and Rhiannon Torino. Our music is by Elizabeth Zambrano, and our logo is by Alexander Zust.